to speak, though, from recovery. That's where I come from. So, because uh, I believe that the framework of the problem, the description of the problem, I believe everyone is suffering from the disease of self-centeredness. I just feel like alcoholics and addicts are, ex- you know, we're an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. We're very extremely self-centered. And so our life, the self-centeredness paints with a broad stroke. So it's easier to recognize for us. Actually, it's a gift in a way. Because we can recognize the the bogusness of the system called self-centeredness. Just like it says in the book. He says, why do you have so much fear? And he doesn't let us answer, thank God. He says the next sentence, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Well, to me, the system of self-centeredness is a failed system. And we're just expressions of that because we've been relying on it. And so when we rely on self and we put our faith in the thoughts that we're having, which are alcoholic thoughts most of the time, or they're basically thoughts from the system of self-centeredness, a very limited uh, program of thinking. It's always about the best it can do with uh, being okay is I will be okay. <laughs> it's always a time lag. You know, you're never going to be happy, joyous, and free now. You're going to have to do and have yourself like a five-year Stalinist plan, and then maybe <laughs> if you meet all those requirements, then you'll be happy, joyous, and free. But it can change the requirements anytime it wants, the head. Yeah? So this thing, this idea of, I believe everyone suffers from self-centeredness. That's the disease, and we're all recovering from something. Because the effects of relying on something that's unreliable are legion, in a way. It, it creates that sense of irritable restlessness and discontent that drives us to look for relief. But the dilemma is what looks for relief is the problem itself, which is the idea of being a self. And my feeling of being a self, I like to use an old Buddhist term that captures it well to me, which is it's a sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. An island unto yourself. And it's just the identification as being a body. And then the perceptions of this body and the, uh, and because we feel like we always feel like we're in this body instead of I'm not feeling like I'm in your body, that sense is constantly reinforces the identification as being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Now, what I found with alcoholism, it is definitely an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. And I like to look at alcoholism like a parasite, yeah? and that we're the hosts. And from this view, it's amazing the information you'll get if you entertain it. And I saw when I first came into AA, came into a meeting, not like this, you know, but a a regular meeting, and uh, people were sharing. And I didn't know, but I was in an incredible bubble of terminal uniqueness. I thought no one ever thought like I did. And I didn't think anyone ever felt like I felt. And I definitely believed no one ever did the things I did. And sitting in that idea, which wasn't questioned very rarely, but always there, I sat in an AA meeting, and after a while, after about a month of listening, I could only come to two conclusions. Either everyone has my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions to life, or they're not my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions. So I had my first relief from that bondage to self. Because to me, the main movement of self, and it's not a noun, in my view. It's a verb. The mind and self-centeredness, its its activity is constantly 
creating an illusion of you're identified as a noun called self. Yeah? But it's a verb. It's an activity. And it can be startled into stopping. That's what a spiritual awakening is, in a way. The selfing, the verb of selfing gets startled by... Just like if you ever had an epiphany. Did you ever, like, make registration, you know, uh, yeah, registration for it? Did you ever call a reservation for it? Did you ever call up and say, I'm going to have a, an epiphany at Friday, 9 o'clock, you know? Kenny G music, candles, you know, <laughs> this and that. No, it sort of was a vertical insertion into your linear life, yeah? It sort of interrupted selfing. And in that moment, be it a second or an hour, you were living unadorned by self. And it's an incredible event for most people. But what happens immediately while it's happening, usually when it comes to an end to you, the thoughts in your head rise up and say, oh, I'm having an incredible spiritual experience. <laughs> as soon as that occurs and you believe it, the epiphany ends, if you ever notice it. <laughs> as soon as you claim it, it stops. <laughs> That's the movement of selfing. It's the first one of its first movements of modus operandi is claiming. Yeah. In other words, you don't have a problem, they're my problems, yes? You don't, you're not experiencing a body, you're experiencing my body. Even, it's amazing, you believe you actually think the thoughts. Yeah? In Buddhism, again, uh, Lord Buddha was supposed to say it simply when you're living he would say, when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you feel, feel, when you taste, taste, when you touch, touch, yes? So just the bare conscious contact, be aware of it. But in this sense, the self, you believe like maybe it's claiming what you do, but it's claiming everything that's being done through this apparatus. Instead of seeing, you have an interpretation of I'm seeing that, yeah? Hearing, never. I'm hearing that. Feeling, I'm feeling that. So all this activity of consciousness having contact with this world, which is through five senses, and in Buddhism they have a sixth sense, the mind sees thoughts, yeah? Every, every contact is being claimed by this system of mind and interpretation called selfing, and saying it's mine. I'm seeing. If, I'm, if my eyes are open, and they're looking out the window, if a bird flies by, I see it. My head may say, I don't want to see that bird, but I see it, yeah? You absolutely have no say in the matter. You're not hearing a damn thing. Hearing is occurring. Your head goes, I'm hearing. But you can't stop hearing. You like to it sometimes at night. You like to put the earplugs, but you can't stop the hearing. Yes? Because you're not in control of it. But this, this mind of selfing claims everything. So it becomes the doer and the haver. So the body is seen as your body. Most people who are obsessed with their bodies are not obsessed with their bodies. They're obsessed with a concept of their body, a mental concept. They're totally into the mental concept. They're totally into the image of the body. If you were in your body, you'd be free, literally. If you were totally in your body right now, you'd be experiencing freedom. But you're not. You're, we're in the thoughts about the body. The total identification with the image, like A.A. said to us when I came in, it says, you've got to be willing to save your ass instead of your face. <laughs> but when I came in, I thought my face was my ass. Literally. <laughs> the image I had of me, I thought I was that. And so I needed like a spiritual anatomy course and get clear, what's my spiritual ass and what's my image? And be willing to give up the image to save my ass. Yeah? So this idea of self-centeredness as the root of the problem, it says obsession with self-centeredness. I 
believe that's off a little bit. I believe it needs to be taken back one more step behind that. And I believe it's identification as self. The obsession with self that's going on in your daily narrative, in your head, that obsession, I believe, is only happening like that to reinforce the identification as self. Because this parasite called alcoholism, it's not a parasite, I'm painting a picture, yeah? it's just a mental movement. But that parasite called alcoholism is a very hostile parasite if you've ever been taken over by it. It does not treat the host well, does it? No. It's a very nasty one to be taken over by. So in knowing that, it has to have the greatest strategy to keep the host at bay. And its strategy is unbelievable. It's like those fish that are near the mouth of a great white shark. They've got a really good situation, but they're still too greedy. They want to have a better situation. So they have a little committee meeting and they go, if we just convince the great white shark that it needs us, then it would never leave us. We would never have to chase its big mouth around. It would be following us all the time. So here's this parasite, very hostile takeover. Your natural reaction was to, would be to throw it off. It has the greatest strategy of all. It's convinced the host that you're it. You believe you're the mental image your mind's projecting every freaking day. You're taking yourself to be a self, a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, a total identification as the body, and that identification as the body is the active denial of your spiritual condition. You're actively denying the spiritual condition by being obsessed with what you're not. It's that freaking simple. That's the dilemma. It's just a misidentification. And I'll tell you, because if you're identified as this, the best you can do is hope to become spiritual as this. The best you can do. This is your primary identification. I'm a body, and maybe it hasn't worked out so well, living as a body here. So maybe the last strategy you run into is, I, maybe I can become spiritual. I've heard that maybe I'll get an advantage if I become spiritual. Yes. <laughs> So, so you don't even understand that you're in the identification of body, so now you're going to try to graft spirituality onto this primary identification. You're going to become spiritual. It doesn't usually stick well, does it? It's sort of, you know, you, work, you go on a month retreat, you feel great, and then, you know, you drive four hours home, and then you're back in it again, seemingly, you know? So then the best answer he can give you is make a three-month retreat, and then a six-month retreat, and maybe you'll get one day of relief for six months of sitting on your ass for 14 hours meditating. <laughs> it's a bad deal, really. Yeah? So you're constantly, constantly trying to graft on spirituality because you actually believe this is what you are. Now, if you look at it, it looks pretty noble for a body to want to become spiritual. And you would think that, man, it is really, really noble, and I hope he has a great amount of success. But if you look at it that you are spirit already, it's ridiculous for spirit to try to become spiritual. It's ridiculous for spirit to try to become spiritual. And also, it's going to fail. Because you are a spiritual condition. You're not a body condition. I had an Uncle Fred, I always loved to use this example, and this, I really liked Uncle Fred because at relatives' parties he'd always, you know, give me money behind his back, you know, he bought me off basically, you know, I really liked him, and then one day he, he passed away, I was nine years old, and uh, my mother took me to the funeral, and I walked by the casket, and when I walked, looked in, I had a direct hit that that was an Uncle Fred. 
I looked at his body, and it just hit me, my little nine-year-old head. That ain't Uncle Fred. And now in hindsight, I realize the reason why I thought Uncle Fred was a body because I thought I was a body. But when I saw the animating principle had left that body, it was obvious that wasn't Uncle Fred. What I was really seeing as Uncle Fred was the animating principle. I was just identifying it as the body. But the body was still there, and the principle left, and that was Uncle Fred. So to me, the spiritual condition is realizing you are one. It says the daily reprieve is contingent on our spiritual condition. Well, to me, the best maintenance of a spiritual condition is to be one. Yeah. If you keep, if you're in that identification as self, you are believing, no matter what you're saying into yourself, you're believing you're a body. And that's your primary condition. And maybe you can practice spirituality, but it's never going to override this primary condition, which is body condition. Yeah. So it's like the horse is always going to be behind the cart. And then you're going to be wondering why things aren't going your way. Because like it says in AA, you have to address the spiritual malady first, which to me is forgetfulness, and then the physical and mental will follow. But if you're taking yourself to be the physical and mental, you're always putting yourself first ahead of the spiritual. And then you're looking back at it going, I, I want to become spiritual, maybe. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're identified as this, you have the option to become spiritual. Yeah? And then what tells you if you're getting close to spirituality or far away from spirituality? How, where, how do you get the message if you're getting close to it or you're far away from it? What informs you of that? Your head, yes. Which is the source of the problem. So your head now plays God with your approach to God. <laughs> it creates distance where there's no distance. And then it plays with the mileage every day. It tells you, oh, you've been good today. It's like that game, hot and cold. So it says, you're warm, you're warm, you're getting close, hot, hot, oh, cold. <laughs> it just jerks you around. I meditate, I feel like I'm close. But if you miss the meditation, why do you feel I'm far? That's the dilemma. See? You may get the joy of thinking you're getting close, but you're going to get the reality of thinking you're far away most of the time. What I'm saying here is you are a spiritual condition. The dilemma is self-centeredness. The dilemma is self-centeredness, and you're identified as that system. That system is a failed system, and your life is just the expression of it. It's not personal. It's like if I, if I was a rose bush and you planted me in a, a lousy pot with no soil, with no light and no water, I would not bloom. Now, of course, I'd be totally beat myself up about it, but in fact, it wasn't really my fault. If I take that same rose bush, Paul, out of an addictive life and put it in a recovering life, that Paul thrives. What happened? Did Paul suddenly become a, a different Paul? No. Paul is an expression of whatever he's relying on. Whatever principle is the basis of my life, I'm going to express that. So you see, people talk about getting faith. This is another one. I believe you and I have tons of faith. You and I have tons of faith right now. But faith is a potential energy we all carry. But how it manifests here is the vehicle we put it in. And there's a perfect example of it. If you have faith in the thoughts of your daily narrative, yes, if you have faith in them, what you get back is anxiety. 
when you have faith in the thoughts that are going on in your head right now, if you believe even one bit of them, what's going to happen is that faith is going to be transformed into anxiety. If you have faith in something that's infinite, let's say, then you're going to have an ease and comfort in your skin now. It's not about getting a parking space next week at the meeting. No, that is not faith. Faith translates as an ease and comfort now. You don't get a solution later. The solution, if it's really valuable, appears immediately. So to me, what happens is, and you can see the worshippers of mind, because they're living in a realm called what's not happening, usually. And the original what's not happening is you as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's what gives you the, the right, and then the magic carpets are thoughts. Yeah? So if you notice, right now in this room, I may bore you to death, but there's no need to have fear. Yeah? No one I don't think is carrying, and no one's going to shoot anybody, I hope, in this room. Maybe at me, I don't know. But no, nothing. So there's, no, there's nothing that should provoke anxiety or fear right now. Yes? But many people may be in a lot of fear. It's not even fear, it's anxiety. Fear is a valid emotion. Anxiety is a mental production. Yeah? So anxiety to me is a product of what's not happening, obviously. Because there's nothing that's a threat here right now. So if you're flipping out, you're flipping out about what's not happening. Yeah? Which is a realm of mind. Because you can't go to what's not happening because it's not happening. The only way you can go there is thought. You cannot go to next Friday. I'm sorry. This is, the, this is the agreement here. It's what night? Tuesday night. But you can go there to your mythical next Friday. Yeah? And your mythical next Friday, in what's not happening, anything can be happening. Have you noticed? In what's not happening, anything can be happening. You can have cancer next Friday. You can be fired next Friday. And I guarantee you, your, boy, your girlfriend or boyfriend are planning to sleep with your best friend next Friday. You might better have a preemptive attack tonight. Yeah? Face up to them now. I know what you're thinking. You know? <laughs> so there you are in the world of what's not happening. And what, what's going on is a product is produced there called anxiety. Yeah? And what ha- unfortunately, where that product gets downloaded is now. Because your body doesn't know any better. It's just listening to the head, and if the head thinks it is in this mythical next Friday, and it's going to have cancer, the body's going to be in what you would call physical fear now, with absolutely no apparent threat. The mind makes it up. The mind, through anxiety, creates the physiological effects of fear, that maybe in a life you'll have 20 times, you're having it 50 times a day. It's like on a button. You're getting zapped all the time, your system. Just getting whacked out. Oh, cancer. Oh, whatever. Yeah? You're not, and so the head, if you're a devotee of the head, you are definitely worshipping in the temple of what's not happening. The past and the future one. Both of them are closed, by the way. Both of them. Because why? They're not happening. This is the only temple right now. This is this moment. Yes? Yeah? So there you are, knocking on the door of what's not happening. When no one answers, you just make up a story. <laughs> about it. <laughs> so there you are. There I am, and what's not happening. So anything can happen. I'm going to be in jail next Friday. So that fear, that anxiety gets downloaded into my body. My nerves get tight. My mind races, right? My breath gets shorter. I get sweaty. I can't sit down. I can't stay at the meeting. Something's moving me. And it's not what's happening now, it's what's not happening. And after a while, if you keep attending to what's not happening, 
you are basically out to lunch. Yeah? Constantly. You're in a trance. Because now what's not happening is overriding what's happening. And overriding what's happening is conscious contact. That's what's happening. You are seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, thinking, and hearing. You're not. There's, that's what's going on. That's the conscious contact. The conscious contact, there's a reaction of mind to it, which is selfing. So, assume the first reaction that you're not even aware of anymore is that I'm hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, and thinking, everything. It claims everything. But that's a lie. Because you're not hearing. You have the ability to hear. And a lot of times you rather not hear and you keep hearing. You have no way to override it, but you keep claiming it, yeah? It's like people sitting here thinking we're the biggest mover and shaker, but you can't even take a shit when you want to. <laughs> really? Are you pumping your blood? Are you pumping your heart? Are you moving blood? Are you digesting that burrito you had earlier on today? Can you imagine if you forgot and you had one in there for about a year? Jesus Christ, my stomach's really bad. <gasps> I that burrito! I didn't digest it! I forgot I had that conversation. I forgot all about it. It's in there. <laughs> no. It's all automatic. Yes? Thinking arises because your body reacts to stimuli from memory. Thoughts pop up. You see them. You hear them. They have the sound of whose voice? What you would call your voice. Because the vocal cords that are making that sound, you think are your body. So the sound that comes out of this body, you call your sound, your voice, and you even have more interest in that. So here's this parasite. It obviously takes you over. It's very hostile. And it thrives in what's not happening. Because in this moment is its the total revelation of its non-existence. So if you watch your thoughts, where do they like to graze? The present past year or the future in the past? Honestly, where do they go? They're all about the future or the past most of the time. They have no honoring of this moment at all. They just can't get rid of this moment. If they could, they would. But this is the, this, the, this moment, and the thing is, the solution to what's not happening is what's happening. Yeah? Now, what's happening, not everything can be happening in what's happening. Only what's happening can be happening. But what's happening has a quality what's not happening doesn't have. And that is simply, it's happening. Yeah? <laughs> and that's the quality of life. The quality of what's not happening is interpretation. And there's something incredibly important missing it. And you keep looking in what's not happening to find what's not there. There is no life in what's not happening. The life is now in what's happening. So the antidote to what's not happening is not to think about it. That is for sure. Because thinking is part and parcel of what's not happening. It's just recognizing the conscious contact that's happening right now. You're hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, da da da. I don't care how many opinions you have, you're seeing them. Without consciousness, you wouldn't even see the thoughts that you have about you being unconscious today, which is a total lie. You were you not unconscious today, nor were you conscious today. All you are is spirit or consciousness. The mind thinks it can be unconscious and conscious. Yeah? So, to you, it can appear that you're unconscious, and then it can appear you can be conscious, but in fact, the underlying state is consciousness. Yeah. CAA, they say one of the highest things we have in our community is surrender. Yeah? The experience of surrender is like a big thing in our community. It's very tasty when, it, when you come through the other end of it. Yeah? 
But I looked at surrender, and what it was for me is, what happens is, the primary principle is forgotten. You stop admitting your powerlessness, and you, you, the head claims the power that's coming in from that other source, from the infinite, and you believe somehow it's your power. And you start exerting it, and then the shit usually hits the fan. Yeah? And then, if you're lucky, something happens to wake you up in a moment, and you surrender. What is that surrender? You just admit that you're powerless. And then when you admit you're powerless, again, the power flows back in. Yeah? And if you notice, the only time you experience powerlessness is when you're exerting power. Have you noticed that? When you're trying to make something happen the way you want it to be, that's called exerting power. That's when you experience powerlessness. You never experience powerlessness when you're admitting it. You experience power. Totally. It never fails. When you're admitting powerlessness, you experience power all day. When you forget and you exert power, that's not yours, you experience power, powerlessness, you get frustrated, you get resentful because people and things aren't doing what you want. Why? Because you're powerless. <laughs> you can't affect them. Yeah? So this is, to me, so I believe there's a state called surrendered. Now, you don't get the real highs and lows of the, the act or the... Uh, journey of surrendering, but it can be very dangerous because you may not get to the point of surrender again. You may not come back. But surrendered may not have all the whistle and bells, but it is so sweet because there's a, you finally become convinced. Yes? It's a done deal. You believe with certainty. No more review, no more options entertained. The head may entertain options, but see, most of us are wasting too much time trying to convince what we're not. Your gut has been convinced already. To your innermost self, there's been an admittance. Don't worry about this outermost self, because it is not convincible. Is it? Has it been? You s people say they turn their will over, they take it back. Give me a break. This thing, don't waste a second on it, because it's not convincible. But the reason why we can't entertain throwing off the parasite is because we're identified as it. Seriously. You can't entertain being free of it. All you can entertain is therapizing it, hopefully getting it socialized enough it won't flip out at the next barbecue you get invited to. You know, maybe you can have a four-month relationship with a woman, and you know that'll be the best you can probably do. And, you know, maybe you can hunker down in the inability to have a viable relationship with anything. Maybe. <laughs> but you won't entertain being free of it because you're identified as it. You're enslaved to it. Every bit of relief you get for it, not from it. Because you're identified as it. So it says, all right, perhaps there's a better way in AA. So I go, yeah, I'm totally with that. What is it? They say, trusting something infinite rather than the finite self. Beautiful statement. Rather than the finite self. Okay. So then you go, all right, I want to do that. So now you start moving towards the program. Really beautiful, yeah? But then see, if the problem, the deep problem, is identification of self, what's going to be moving away from the self is self. Because you're identified as it. Wherever you go, you're bringing the problem with you. The parasite's running, ru you know, riding you unnoticed because you're identified as it. So there's a part in the big book I like to emphasize, which says, uh, can you hear me back there? Am I losing anyone in there? Any interest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no yet. All right, good. 
it says on page 64, I think it's 64, it says, being, com- being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, that self, yeah, self, let's say, manifested in various ways. Manifested means appearing in various ways. Self manifesting or appearing in various ways is what has defeated us. It's a beautiful statement because he's separating the two. Yeah. And what I notice is what what if, what self defeated me. I'll say it right here. If we ask everyone in this room what self defeated them, we have the same answer. My self. Yeah. Unless you went out with someone for a few months, and maybe their self defeated you for a few months. But most, most of the time, it would be my self. Yes. Everyone in the room asked this one question with seventy different people. Same answer. My self. So I don't believe self defeats us. I believe the identification as it defeats you. It opens you up to the defeat. Because now, it, it's seen as you, so it has total access into your life. So here, so self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. We will now look at its, meaning self, language, English language, its common manifestations in our life. Yeah? So I'll say it again. This to me is, I don't see many people noticing this, and it's, I think it's very important. It can change your whole experience in the program to me. So self, being convinced, manifests in various ways as why it has defeated us. We will now look at its common manifestations in our lives. And then the next paragraph starts out with resentment. So in this view, what I'm looking at as an inventory process is I'm actually looking at the expressions of self into my life. I'm not doing an inventory of my resentments. That's the act of identification. Resentment, that, that view of resentment or seeing things as a threat is determined by your take, being taken over by self. Yeah? It's perception based on a lot of anxiety and fear sees things as threats unbelievably. So by that occupation, it's expressing this view that causes you to entertain a resentment, and when there is resentment arises, and you, ha- and you it's like going, it's like harvesting a, a dead plant. You go back to it day in and day out. You'll forget a miracle in about an hour, but you got a resentment of forty years. <laughs> it's like picking the buds like a marijuana plant with the hydro. You, they're like super powerful now. You got, you use it for every excuse of your life. It's this resentment that actually probably never happened. <laughs> so there it is. So it's it's self-expressions. It says it in the book. Resentment. Fear. Expression of self in your life. What? Yes, fear. We grew into this. When you were a kid, unless you were in an abusive situation, like my golden years were between two and four. I was wide awake. I didn't have any concepts of time or ugliness or beauty. When I was playing with ants, I wasn't worrying, will I be playing next week? I had no idea of next week. I was in that land of wonder and awe. I was awake. There wasn't much introspection, no self-chattering going on. I didn't know what the hell I was. And there was a freedom in that. Then I outgrew that, and I grew into this little takeover, this parasite. And until I came into AA, I had no idea. Until I came into a waiting room called an AA meeting, I heard other people who had been taken over. Because what I identified with at a meeting isn't who you are, it's what's taking you over. Because it's taking me over. That's why when normal people come in, they have a, a milder strain of the parasite of self centeredness we got an extreme one. And they, they're like aghast at some of the shit we say at meetings. Like, what? You said that in public? I would have kept that to the you know, grave. 
And, but we're all laughing because we identify not with who we are, with what's taken us over. The same parasite's been riding you like it's been riding me. And it has a limited amount of characteristics. And we have been at the brunt of them. All of us. And we keep calling them ours. We call every freaking fear mine. It's like if you were in a, at a park and you had a, a kid and there's dirty kids, the one kid you would attend to would be yours. It's the your. Yeah? The your, the act of identifying, is the bondage to self. Thoughts cannot bond you. My thoughts can. Mine. As soon as a thought is held as my thought, it has the bonding agent. The bonding agent comes from my side, not the thought. Because you can have the same thought and come over and share it with me, and I'm like Solomon. I'm very wise about <laughs> your thought. I'll be having the same thoughts in my head, but I'm calling them my thoughts. I'm totally, totally tranced out and totally confused. What is it? It's not the thought. It's the identification with the thought as my thought. That, to me, is the root of the problem. We're identified as something we're not. And we're claiming all of its products as ours, which causes us to become caretakers of its shit. So there's a really nice way to describe this I use in, in the workshops I do in San Francisco, which is, so keep this in mind, self has defeated us, yes, manifestations, resentment, fears, harm does to others, looking at your sexual behavior. Okay? So self defeated us. And these are the manifestations. So this guy has a beautiful... I have a beautiful lawn, let's say, and a nice porch. And I really like this lawn. It's pristine, has pine trees all around it. And every morning I run around with no shoes on in the morning dew. Not like today, though. It'd be freezing. But you know, I run around the morning dew and I have croquette matches there, croquet matches, whatever. A lot of picnics. My whole life is really into this lawn. Yeah? So one day I jump off very gaily onto the lawn and I step in some shit. So immediately my life has to get a little smaller. I've got to start wearing shoes when I walk on the lawn. Yeah. So I do what most alcoholics would do. I just go back inside and ignore it for a couple of hours. I think it'll go away. <laughs> and then I come back out and I, and I see that one. And so I step somewhere else. I step in some more shit. So I get back on the porch and I, I don't know what to do. So I'm walking around my yard and there's a lot of shit all over the freaking place. And it's starting to stink. Yeah, really bad. So I go back in the house and I, I just pull the shades down, you know, and I start, I get pictures of, of lawns and I put them in the house and I call people up that are the same things happening to and we just reminisce what it was like to have a real lawn. Look at this beautiful picture. Oh, do you remember? Well, yes. Can we go? No, no, we can't go out there. It's full of shit. But look at that. It was beautiful. Yeah. So one day someone comes in to, to my house, knocks on the door. And I said, he says, I've heard you had a problem. I said, yeah, I do. He says, what is it? I said, all this shit all around my lawn. I said, hey, listen, i got a solution for you. I'm, I'm totally ready for it. He says, hey, try one of these pooper scoopers. Yeah? In your case, I get two pooper scoopers. And if you really practice hard enough and pick them up fast enough and everything like that, you may have a little bit of time when you have at least a little four-by-three pristine piece of lawn. Forget the rest. We'll never salvage it, you know. But at least you'll get a little bit of time. You can at least have yourself at a picnic, you know. <laughs> but it'll be nice. So you start picking up the shit, you know. And you're pretty good at it. And you get a little break, and when you get back on the porch and then you step back, there's still more. But you're getting really fast. So there are moments. And then the word spreads to other people who have the same problem. Hey, this guy knows what he's doing. He can pick up shit pretty good. He knows how to handle it, what to do with it. So he, you're starting to get calls, you know? 
and now you're starting to become an authority, and then you become like a circuit speaker. Yeah, you can pick up shit. And then, oh, this is Paul. He's picked up. He's got two Koopa Scoopas autograph copies. He's really, really good at it. And so you're getting, you know, yeah, I'm an authority. And people are calling you far and wide on your website, you know. And uh, and then <laughs> you become. I don't. Should I say it? Yeah. I'm a, a poopa scoopa thumper. <laughs> so you're an expert, and you got a lot of people coming to see you and everything. And then selfing, of course, is claiming this identification, and you got something going, you know. And now someone else comes in the house to your house and says, "Man, I've got a really incredible solution, like a quantum solution," and you have a reluctance to it, a resistance to it, because actually. The solution isn't as big as, as, a, as a problem, is as big as a problem. You're getting a lot of identification as being this great circuit speaker and everything. So you're going, well, I don't know, you know, I don't really know, I don't really care about this. It sounds good, but no, I'm pretty happy. You know, I'm pretty good. I can't use the lawn, but hey, i got tons of people coming over and, you know, hanging out with me and everything like that. So a guy goes, okay, but as he's walking out, he says, if you ever want to, just find the dog. <laughs> what? Find the dog. So he find it dawns on you like very quick, with no thought effort on your part. Without the dog, there ain't no shit. Yeah. So find the dog. Find self. The difficult problem is you think you're the dog. That's why the only that's the best thing you can entertain is becoming good at cleaning up after it. You can't entertain being free of it. You're identified as, and it's going to keep shitting over your life. It's just the way it goes. So for me, I entertain that, and I found the dog. Yeah, I honor pooper scoopers, but I don't. I'd rather not use them. I'd rather have a pristine lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love fear inventories, but I'd rather not do any. If I don't have any fear, why would I need to do an inventory? And you can outgrow fear, just like you grew into it. If you outgrow the idea of being a self, you'll outgrow fear, because they're synonymous. Yeah? So this was a major... Yeah, this is so cool, yeah? Because when I, this started happening to me, when I read the book, the, the downloads that would happen when I saw the word self was incredible, because I saw it as a foreign installment. I saw it as not me, alien. That it had taken me over and it had changed my perceptions and all the thoughts and, and my interpretations of feelings and you and this and that. And it's basically been riding me like a jockey for a long freaking time. I have a nice little story I always tell where, you know, you go into a rehab so you're, uh, you're separated from your beloved jockey. So you're doing pretty good in the barn, you know, you're like a horse and you eat some hay, you know. You're in a controlled environment, you can't run around, but it's better than what was happening. So one day, you know, <laughs> you're chewing the hay and everything, and then the jockey shows up again. And you go, whoa, you start rearing up, whoa. And the jockey goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. Whoa, no, no, it's going to be different this time. No, 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 you're going to And it's trying to convince you, you know. He's got, it sounds a little humble, and oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, it'll be fine. Don't you remember all the good times? Whoa, no. But then it slips this little leg over you, and you want to kick it off. But as soon as he gets on you, it stops talking at you, like trying to convince you it talks as you. And now you're not thinking about going to the 7-Eleven. Do you have 7-Elevens here? You're not thinking about going to 7-Eleven. You're at the 7-Eleven. You're not thinking about, oh, should I call the dealer? You're calling the dealer. The thing is taking you over. It's like a possession. Haven't you noticed? 
It's a possession. Something has taken you over. And what I'm saying that is, is this system called self-centeredness. And the reason why it's a, you've allowed it to take it over is because it introduces itself as you. Through thought in your head. So it's like this. When I found, let's say there's a woman in this other room that I'm interested in. I want to sort of see if she likes me by listening. Hopefully she'll say something about me. Of course, she could be talking about thousands of things. I'm thinking, being self-centered. I, I bet she's, gonna, she's talking about me, you know, in the other room. And I, you know, I'm already married to her in my head, you know. I yet. So I'm listening very intently. And I'm supposed to be doing something here and like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know better, but I can't seem to stop. Yeah. So I'm like, I want to hear this. Yeah? It's very important to me. To the selfie, yeah? <laughs> and people go, Paul, come on, come on, you got a job to do. Yeah, I go, yeah, yeah, I know, but I just can't seem to help it. Right? But as soon as I hear she's talking about Matt, I lose interest like that. Yes? Like that. I don't have to take eight months of workshops. I lose interest immediately when I realize it's not about me. That's exactly what will happen if you start entertaining that you are not the long-lasting you know, independent separate entity. And then you'll see the thoughts, not as yours, but as thoughts. And you'll lose interest in them because they're freaking boring. Seriously. Have you had a person come over and run their selfing to you? In five minutes you want to make, like, muffins or something. Just, all right, but you've been listening to the same thing for 50 years, as if it's, as, like it's CNN Newsflash. It's the same old, same old. What makes it seem interesting is it's about you. And I'm telling you, it's not about you. And if you hold it as such, you'll get, you'll lose interest, and that's how the obsession with self diminishes. Not wrestling with it. How can you control it? It's an effect of another cause. The cause is identification as self. Its whole purpose is to reinforce that. If that's not addressed, it's going to keep attempting to do that. You're going to be struggling with obsession the rest of your days. When you realize it's not you, you lose interest in it. You lose interest in it. It's boring as hell. Then your attention, instead of enslaved into this black hole of selfing, gets distributed by something else. If you want to call it the higher power or the fourth dimension or the spiritual realm. But now, your attention has been freed from attending that insane idea, and now it can go some of the places. And usually what I find it goes to is to its natural home, which is itself, the spirit. Yeah? And to me... Obsession with self and abidance in the truth is the exact same energy. This energy that turns into obsession when it's totally given into self, if that energy is given into what you are, is called what they say in spiritual abidance or resting in the truth. It's the peace of all peace, the same energy that makes it so that obsession going on in your head every day. Exact same potential, it's just where it goes to. And this energy really is almost like, like here, everyone in this room. Did you hear anyone at the cafe today complaining about gravity on their left? Oh, gravity was heavy, was it heavy on <laughs> I think it's personal today. It's really just heavy on me. I see you are all right, but this is weighing me down. No, you have no idea of gravity. Yet it's, it's, it's a force that's constantly affecting your physicality. And you have no idea of it. There's a force in this world... That's unbelievably powerful. And it's going to, it, it only answers one call. Whatever you believe you are, that's where that primal attention is going to go to. 
you will have a very difficult time losing interest in self if you believe it's you. It's going to be a giant yeoman's job to try to break that magnetism. But if you entertain it's not, it frees it up and it goes somewhere else. To me, it goes into spirit, which is infinite, and comes back out to express. This way, with the selfing, it goes in here, it gets hijacked into this black hole, and then that attention is so obsessive over a very tiny thing, it gets extremely neurotic and perverse and sick. It's like putting a marathon runner in your cellar and making a little two-by-two oval and having him run it all day. He's going to flip out. (laughs) It's too small a space, yeah? So here, what happened with me is once this was freed from this system of self by going to the core, the core lock is you're identified as it. I'm telling you, that's the whole thing. Once you tell the truth and that gets loosened, you'll lose interest in that system. And then you start contacting this other, let's say it's like your, your antenna can pick up other frequencies. Right now you're stuck on K-Paul, let's say. K-Paul 24-7 all the time. Lots of commercials. Lots of advertising of how, when you're going to be happy, but never delivering it now, you know what I mean? <laughs> or why you're not happy, but never, never a delivery now of happiness. So there it is. That antenna can pick up other frequencies. Let's say you want to call it the higher power, or the fourth dimension, the spiritual realm. You are trans. You you transmit. Right now, most of us are transmitting selfing, yeah. But you can transmit this also. You have the potential. You just have to get unlocked from that one station. And to me, it's not about dealing with its effects going to the root. It's identification. If you really see that you are not a self, you'll get a freedom from it. And then. You can pick up some other frequency, and just like you've been expressing whatever is running you, this will run you, and you'll be an expression of it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. You can sense something. You can sense that. You know, the real dilemma is, and the only solution is satisfaction. You're just not satisfied in selfing, and nor, nor will you ever be. What you're holding out to is to be special, and it's a bad deal. Yeah? You get to be right and alone, basically, and selfing. But this, when that's given up, then you're just satisfied. And you'll see a lot of your crazy behavior had nothing to do with you. It was based on you had no satisfaction, joy, and peace in your life. Yeah? You were, there was a demand to try to get some relief, and unfortunately what took the order was the problem. So it went out. And us, we've been conditioned to seek relief through alcohol and drugs. So that's what we did. Yeah. And for me, the alcoholic of my type, I was willing to pay any consequence tomorrow not to feel uncomfortable now. And I was constantly feeling uncomfortable in self. That's an amazing thing. We hear it at meetings. Isn't it amazing? People talk about being uncomfortable in their own skin. Can you imagine living your life that way? It's the only skin you're going to be in your whole life, and you're uncomfortable in it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Give me a break. We're behind the eighth ball already. Yeah? But the beauty of this thing is, I'm telling you, you hear people come in and they go, this was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Yes? And they have a story about it, and it's like it's like a statue in their life. That's the worst thing that ever happened to me, and that's it. Then they get sober. After about a year or two, they see it with new glasses, and now it's the best thing that ever happened to them. That's how extreme it can be, the difference. You're calling something the worst thing that ever happened to you and you're sure of it, then there's a change. 
of station, and that worst thing is seen as the best thing. Can you imagine what you're dealing with if you can demonstrate that much? Instead of entertaining it as the problem, why not entertaining it as the solution? See, like they say, hey, hey, you know, a higher power of my own understanding. I don't want a higher power of my own understanding. I want a higher power of its own understanding. I do not want a higher power to come into my life and be defined by self's understanding of it, because it will always be weaker than self. Hasn't yours been? It will always be weaker than self. Selfing is like the Old Testament God. It's like a jealous, freaking envious God. Do not put any God before me or I'll smoke you and this and that. Sounds just like me. You know, and they called it God for thousands of years. Sounds like my head. You know what I mean? This thing, it's not going to understand a power greater than it. Give me a break. So to me, please God... You know, allow me to understand, your, you know, let me experience your understanding of yourself, not my understanding, because my understanding is going to limit your effect in my life. That's all it's going to do. It may get a little better, but freedom won't be on, the, on offer. It will always be conditional freedom. And if you watch, you know, in AA they say, quit playing God that part. Man, if you start watching this head, you will see how much this little Caesar is playing God all day. That's all it does. It's playing God with God. It tells you, who's going to inform you after the retreat if you're closer to God or not? Your head. Yes? Who tells you where you're at? Your head does. It informs you of your locale and how you got there and how you're going to leave and what you can expect and what you can't expect. I say that's playing God. What happens when you wake up and you, you think you know what the day's going to be? I think that's playing God. Or when I see someone, I go, immediately I know them already. I just missed the whole invitation of them. Because I, I know that. I know her. She's an asshole. Not you, personally. But you know what I mean? I know that. That's contempt prior to investigation. That's the modality of this God of self. So, you know, I was in the community, I had been in the community 20-something years, and every time I heard about an inventory process, it was always about my resentments, my fears, and harm does to others. And I just don't think that's so. I think what I'm really doing, and the only way I can do a fearless and thorough inventory is to realize or entertain I'm not that, that I'm inventory. How are fearless or thorough are you when if I did your inventory, I'd be fearless and thorough right now. You know, I walk in, we must have done 80 of them. You walk in the room, you've done 80 inventories. I spot inventories. Totally fearless and thorough. She's an asshole. Okay, now I know everything. But we can't seem to do a fearless and thorough inventory because we're identified as what we're looking at. When you're not identified with it, you'll be able to tell the truth and you'll see the whole length of the beast. You'll see from head to tail so that you'll be able to recognize it when it tries to enter into your life. Yes? So you see a thought as a thought. A thought as a thought, its nature is to come and go. A thought as my thought, its nature is to become a story. One thought, it would, be, it would, have, it would have been less than a period on a page. One thought, it becomes mine, it's a whole 80, you know, 200 page novel. You gotta see it. You know, it's so beautifully when you do. Thoughts, let's say thoughts weigh something, an ounce. They say you have a thousand, they say you have 70,000 thoughts a day. Research. Can you imagine it? Us as alcoholics, 69,980 or about us, yeah, but 70,000 thoughts. Let's say you only have 10,000 thoughts. Let's say 10,000. And every one of them weigh an ounce. So 
So now you've been traveling for quite a while with 10,000 ounces. You're used to it. You can go up hills, right? You don't even notice the weight. <laughs> yeah, really. You can go up hills, inclines. You feel like, hey, this is just the way it's always seemed to be. You don't even know it's heavy. All right, so now that's just a thought. Now the same thought, I add my to it. And now it weighs a pound. So now every day I'm carrying 10,000 pounds. The same thought that was announced is now a pound because it's become my thought. It means a lot more to me than when it was just a thought because it's about me. Now you're carrying that. That's going to be heavy. And what are you going to do? You're going to want relief or you're going to want to blame people for the heaviness or so on and so forth. Yes? And every solution that it offers is a bigger problem than the problem it was meant to deal with. Every solution that this this system of selfing offers is a bigger problem than the problem it was doing, you know, the solution for. Check it out. Just like when people say, I'm going to go home and think about it. Stop them at all costs. (laughs) Because they're applying the problem to the problem, and they're going to spawn more problems. You thought you had a problem, you come out with 15 of them. Oh, I've got to think more about this. No, you don't. Do not apply the, the problem to anything. Yes? But you can't help yourself because you're identified as it. Self can't get out of self. The solution is, the best way to get out of something is realize you've never been in it. That's the solution I found. If you believe you're in something and you try to get out of it, that's actually being in it. In and out, in and out, in and out. But when you entertain, you are never in it. That's the sense that I think people are talking about when they say, I'm out of self now. It's that you recognize you were never in it. You were never a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Never. It's just been presented to you over and over in the ad nauseum through thought, through interpreting feelings, through interpreting perceptions, da-da-da-da-da-da, and you've gone under a trance. And every day you have, you're self-hypnotized all day. The narrative of your day is a, it's a hypnotist tool. Your selfing is just keep, keep the host hypnotized so he can do what it wants with you, and it wants to express into a life. Just like Alcoholism can't pick up a beer if you've noticed. It doesn't have an arm. It doesn't have a mouth. It has to have the host to comply with its wish to get that alcohol that it needs for fuel. Yeah? And it's amazing, after all it's put us as a host through, we still fall for it. It'll bring us, you watch it, it brings you. Maybe immediately or in a couple of days it starts working you. Like, you're at work, and then you think you're going to be fired next, at the end of the week. So now you're a little suspicious. Then you think there's a conspiracy at your job. All the people are talking about you when they go at the coffee, you know, and you see the boss looking at you, and you perceive a threat in that look, and he doesn't even give a shit about you, really. But you're thinking he's thinking about you. And it starts to get unbearable. So Tuesday, you start getting off on people at the thing, and you start, hey, you know, you're mad at your, you know, your fellow workers. And they have no idea, where is this coming from? Because you think you have, you've sussed it out. They're setting you up. Then Wednesday, it's almost unbearable. So you're calling your friends up at night to get their agreement. They're going, yeah, I think they're fucking with you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So then Thursday, you just don't even go to work. You say, fuck that. I'm not going to let them have the pleasure of firing me tomorrow. So I'm going to quit today. So then you sort of quit. And then what happens is, sooner or later, your mind is brought to a point called fuck it. Yeah? And when your mind gets you to that point of fuck it, and you comply, it now rushes in with its solution. Let's get loaded. Let's drink. Fuck it. Let's sleep with my best friend's wife. Hey, what the hell? Fuck it. No, no, no. I'll never be loved. I'll never be this. I'll never be that. Fuck it. 
And as soon as, so, as soon as you comply, you surrender your arm to the alcoholism, you reach for the beer, and then you drink it, yes? As soon as you drink it, the genie's out of the bottle. You thought you had trouble with your relationship before, now you're up on stalking charges, yeah? <laughs> Everything, shit starts happening, yeah? Consequential for some of us. For me, I was very consequential. As soon as I drank, I discovered I had magnetic appeal to people in uniform. As soon as I started drinking, I was getting arrested, constantly. So this happens, and as soon as that happens, it's like your life is now flypaper. You're stuck in bureaucracy, your analysis tests, this and that probation offices, blah, 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 rehab houses, SNL houses, whatever they call them, sober living places, having people you don't like tell you what to do, da-da-da, da-da-da, on and on and on and on. But there was a decision made on self that puts you in that position to be hurt. And you had no immunity to it because every thought you were taking to be yours. See, now, if my head goes, I really want to have a drink, I'm not identified as that I. So I said, you know, sorry. <laughs> it's like he wants to make a right turn. I keep going straight. I want to make a right turn straight. You know, sorry. <laughs> you know? But if you identify it as it, it has your ear. And it's going to want to have your arm and your mouth, and it wants that alcohol delivered. And once it's in there, all bets are off, yeah? That thing's riding you again. Maybe it'll be ten months, maybe a day, maybe the rest of your life. And I'll tell you something. You and I, if we had five extra thoughts in a given situation, we'd be in prison for the rest of our lives. If you don't have any immunity to the thought, and you were in a situation, and you had five extra thoughts, like, I'm going to kill that motherfucker, and there was a gun next near you, and you shot that person, you'd now be suffering the consequences of that decision. Yeah. My whole life, but for the grace of God, is based on not having certain thoughts, really. Because every other thought I followed religiously, if it would have said, kill that motherfucker, and I could, I probably would have tried. Yeah. We need an immunity to thought. And the immunity to thought is they're not yours. Once you start having an immunity of thought, self cannot be reinforced and recreated because it's done through the narrative of your head. And you'll have free samples and big openings will happen and you'll start entertaining from the point of not being a self. And it's really, really nice. Yeah? trying to figure out all my oldie goldies. I can't pull them up right now. Running out. Because this is like an introductory, you know. i got to sort of present sort of a dilemma that maybe you can identify with. Maybe not. But try to paint a picture so that something in you that knows will sense that knowing. Because you know. You know exactly what I'm saying. There's a, re there's a resonance of truth in it. I can sense it in the room. I know it. Yeah. The head, the selfie, wants to cover it up as quickly as possible. That's why when I usually come to towns like this, I have to leave two or three days later. Because as soon as people start thinking about it, they want to get to me. They <laughs> like the feeling when it gets delivered, but when they go home and think about it with the problem, whoa, they don't like me after a couple of days. <laughs> you get the big gurus that fight, fight me. That's I'm a, I'm the protector of the book. I'm coming here to set you straight. <laughs> This is just an imitation to tribe members, because I'm in the tribe. I, I fell upon something I believe, by its evidence, is valid, because the proof is in the freaking pudding. And I've been experiencing traveling later for years now, so I must have fell upon something. 
Yeah, like Jesus said, or supposedly said, you 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 know you have to judge the tree by the fruit. If what you're practicing isn't really affording you a lot amount of freedom, maybe you need to take a little bit of look at things. Yeah, because freedom is available. Freedom from the bondage of self. And the bondage of self is not on the self side. It's on your side, believing it's you. <coughs> you are the bonding agent. Your belief in it, your faith in it as you, is what bonds you to the thoughts. Not the thoughts do not bond you. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. But your take on them are what are used to bind you to the idea of being a self, a victim, or whatever self it's taking that moment. Yeah? There is a freedom available. A freedom, really. You, me and you are fourth dimension citizens. We're, we're on a work visa here. We're not from this place. We're really not. We're on a work visa. We are awake. Yeah? Now, we grew into something that we can outgrow. If we can identify the root of the problem and some attention is put on it, you should see the effects of that. Because it's like a long string of knots. Let's say relationship is one knot, and you work really hard to loosen that. But maybe you'll get it loose for a couple of months, but it doesn't affect the two adjoining knots, really. Money still may be a problem or whatever. And then usually the knot will knot again. Yeah. So you'll take a workshop and read a book and think it's great, but two months later you're throwing the book out, and fuck that workshop, it didn't work. Yeah? The knot. Because it has this ability to re-knot. Yeah? No matter how much you keep it loose or try to be vigilant, it has a tendency... It's natural, tendency, not natural, but its tendency is to re-knot. But what occurs, if you go back the string of knots and get to the first one, which I believe is identification as self, which is a verb. It's not like you've been tattooed it. It's a verb your head is doing now. It's identifying as self. The basis is your conscious contact. It's hijacking that and telling the story of who's having conscious contact. And it's saying you are what's in conscious contact, and you are not. You are like the telescope the scientist is using to see the stars. The body is like a telescope. Consciousness cannot come here in the world and meet things without having this interface. So consciousness is like the scientist, and the scientist is what sees the stars, but this telescope facilitates it with the lenses, yeah? It brings the stars closer. When the scientist walks away... In this sense, this telescope started thinking, I'm seeing the stars. And now it doesn't even see the stars anymore. All it does is make up a story about seeing stars. But it's not actually seeing the stars. It's not in conscious contact anymore. It's in a story about conscious contact. So this, to me, is spirit is animating me. I'm its interface for this world. Yes, But I am not what's conscious. My eye is seeing... But if animation, the animated principle left, the eye could still see, but there'd be no seeing through it. Because it's not, eyes are not seeing, it's the consciousness that you are that sees. And I believe you and I are not in conscious contact, we are conscious contact. And so our real, let's say, identity or nature is being revealed every moment there's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and even thinking. Everything that we're in contact with shows that we're the consciousness that's in the contact. The mind has written a story about that saying it's you as a body, that you're conscious contact, but you're not hearing the damn thing. Hearing just happens. Seeing just happens. Feeling just happens. Smelling just happens. Tasting just happens. You're not doing a damn freaking thing. Yeah? So, 
It helped me out. <laughs> Straightening out a little bit. I swear, it was a minor little optic, you know, calibration problem. My antenna was picking up K-Paul too much. It broke, and then I started picking up some inf- other information. Oh, it's incredible. And now, you know, the best people say, can say sometimes is, I will be okay. No, you are okay. Not okay in the sense your mind has of different than being unokay. Okay, like, without an opposite. There's just something all right with you. You're awake, you're the source of peace, you are satisfaction. Yeah. So, any questions tonight? I love when there's no questions. It's good. <laughs> Stunned, eh? Good. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe, like, that first period when you first started to, be, to see this? Because I'm with yeah. this now also. But you don't go in and out. See, the, the going in and out, there's an awareness of it. You're the awareness of going in and out. The verb of selfing is you are going in and out. So the, the you going in and out catches your attention, and you forget you're the consciousness of going what you call in and out. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's it. Why do you want, you want me to talk about what? No, I want you to explain when you first, like, I didn't. I did not. I had nothing to do with it. It's something I entertained, and finally, I entertained something that was true, and when you entertain something that is true, it's going to have a very big impact on you. Look at what you're doing in me you are doing now. We are miracle workers. You are making seeing what's not happening seem to be happening. That's like, like moving a mountain. There is what's happening. You're totally overriding what's happening with what's not happening. Just by thinking about it. That's a miracle worker. Yeah? It's incredible. So can you imagine that ability to entertain that what's not, what's happening, what's not happening is really happening and override what's actually really happening? If that was turned to the truth, that power of entertaining is unbelievable. That you, not meaning you personally, but that we are. We're facilitators of meaning and entertaining. And so if you put it on something that's true... It's like, it's unbelievably got a lot of juice. Yeah? So that's all that I did. Somebody introduced it to me, I entertained it. Entertained to me is sort of like sitting like this. I wasn't thinking about it, just going bouncing around in there. And every, I was curious, very curious, yes? And then more and more was revealed. And the emphasis shifted. The foreground of yakking about Pauling and Paul happy disease. And the background of silence that I wasn't aware of, the background moved up, and the, this, the foreground moved back. So now, K-Paul is like a big <laughs> sound back there that I don't buy any of its products, yeah, because it's not about me. And now, the presence, if you want to call it, or that s- sense of presence or silence or emptiness, whatever you want to call it, or filled with spirit, that's dominant. And so my days aren't about the particulars, it's about the context of the day. I'm awake all day. So things happen, but I forget them quite usually quickly. But I don't forget, I don't remember it mentally, but I don't forget the context of the day. It's hard to say. It's not a memory, it's not not forgetting, like thinking about it. 
there's a non-forgetfulness of the context of the day, which is awareness. That's all I can say. There's no effort on my part. There's just a non-forgetfulness of the, of the awareness. I forget the particulars quite a lot. But the awareness, there's no forgetting of that. And it's a very nice way to travel, I find. So I don't know if that helped you or not, but there you, there you have it. There's a juice. How do you sense it, eh? Yes, exactly. The message is really the juice. The words are the envelope. The words don't mean anything. I don't know if you're feeling it, but I feel it now. Here. Yes, there's a presence. That's the presence. The presence is, can be entertained by certainty. Yeah? If someone's in a room that's in certainty about this, there's going to be a presence put out. And that presence is just tickling the certainty that you are. Yeah? And then this, this room can become a magnifying glass so that people who wouldn't sense this presence will sense it just being in a room. Or you may feel, hey, I really liked it and I have a little crash tomorrow because the selfie will come back in a raw. Yeah? It will. It'll create like a hangover. Seriously. I've seen it. So... This, to me, the energy is that. That's the invitation. And I hope, you know, your antenna picks it up. Because it's going to go right directly to K-Home. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a recognition in you. Maybe it won't translate up here. Maybe, maybe not. But you will know. You know. You know already. Prior to knowing, like, with the mind, you already know. You are this. That's why it resonates for people. Because it's true. Yeah. Yes. With my bodyguards. I got two big guys with me. No, 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 no. I don't, uh, really, I don't really notice it much. You know? I know a lot of people have conflict with me, but I'm not in conflict with them. You know? So that's all. And then when I'm hanging out with my old friends, I never talk about this. We just hang out and talk about old days and this and that and that and this. They don't want any more. They're happy where they are. Why would I want to disturb that? It's just, this is an invitation to the tribe. It's, if someone wants it, I believe you have the right to hear it. Yeah? I believe that I'm like a cod salesman. It's not arguing with mackerel and salmon. I don't want to be compared with mackerel and salmon. I'm just putting a piece of cod out. You may like cod. Check it out. You can sushi it, fry it, whatever. But what about mackerel? I don't know about mackerel. All I know is about cod. I'm a cod salesman, a humble cod salesman. Here you go. If you want to try it, it's here. It's available. If you don't, don't. There's no pressure. You don't have to do anything. You should, you know. So I don't know. I don't run into that many people. I do some, you know, but I don't, uh, they don't usually talk to me face to face. I just hear rumblings from others, you know, of discontent. <laughs> Maybe I'm too nice a guy and this nice guy. <laughs> Any other questions? I'm excited about being in New Jersey, though. Yeah, I am. I'm excited about it. Repetition is helpful with this. Just like the trance is based on repetition, the same old, same older, we're using the poison as an antidote for these next two nights. We're just going to repeat, yes? So that the, the opening that you 
maybe a little short, maybe getting a little bigger. And then just something will get slipped in there, and then it will do its thing inside. You don't have to think about it or go over it. It'll just, it's already, like, the spiritual subpoena has been served. <laughs> You've already been served already. You don't know it, maybe you do, but you have been served. I mean, my job's over, really. That's all I have to do. I'm like a mailman. I just, don't follow me home. I'm, no, just, I'm just inviting you. I, you know, you're, you're going to be your own authority, finally. This isn't about a savior or anything. Find it, you know, this is this is available where you are at, at all times, right now. No matter how you're thinking you are, what's looking is is that. What you're looking for is what's looking. No matter what your opinion is about what you think is looking, what's looking is what you are looking for, as St. Francis says. That what's looking is consciousness. So, that's it? Yeah? You want to do a serenity prayer? No? No, well, uh, before we shut down, uh, oh yeah, pass the basket. Maybe. Need some money. Yeah, we want to pass the basket. Out. Yeah, I have a basket so, uh, too. If you want. Paul doesn't know this, but uh, Thursday was Paul's birthday, so I'd like us all to sing Happy Birthday to him. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. My present. Yeah. You know, I, I must still be sick, but I thought that was a bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be. You gave me a new idea. Also, uh, uh, we have some cake and snacks and stuff. You know, Paul talked about the So, you know, hang out in the swim room.